Hey friends, it's Coley. Welcome to Still With You. I am so excited that you've joined me for another episode of the podcast. And I hope you are loving the music that we are featuring on every episode of Still With You this season. This song, Will Be Alright, is from our friend Gabrielle Grace. She is a folk indie artist living in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm so excited to announce that her EP, Will Be Alright, which does include this single, releases March 5th. Pre-save the album today. The link to do this is in the show notes. And while you wait, you can stream all of her music already available on all all major listening platforms. To connect with Gabrielle, you can visit her website, gabriellegracemusic.net, or you can find her on social media. Her handle is Gabrielle Grace Music. Well, as I mentioned, I am so excited that you are here, and I hope you loved my conversation with another fellow podcast host, Laura Lambert, last week as we talked about relationship over religion. Such a good episode. Make sure you backtrack and add that to your queue. Today, I am speaking with a friend who I have known of for the longest time. We share a lot of mutual friends, but I finally had the opportunity to sit down and speak with her. CPC Certified Relationship Coach. Coach Isami Dane carries a passion for empowering millennials and Gen Z through relationship pain to find their voice after estrangement. Why estrangement empowerment? Have you ever thought you would hear those two words in the same sentence? I never have, and neither did Asami. Being raised in a home where physical and verbal abuse were normal, after becoming an adult, moving from Japan to the United States, Isami's relationship with her parents did not get any better. It unfortunately grew worse, and in 2017, she became permanently estranged from her parents. After spending most of her life surviving abuse and finding ways to fix broken relationships, she truly believed she was not good enough. Still striving to meet someone's unrealistic expectations of who she was quote-unquote supposed to be, she continually blamed herself for the brokenness that she felt. In my conversation with Asami, she shares her story of hard work and healing by discovering her true identity in Jesus Christ. From graves to gardens, she today is free from her pain and finding new, beautiful courage within herself every day. My favorite moment in my chat with Asami is how she describes hearing from the Holy Spirit. I hope you really do slow down and take in this moment as you listen to her describe how gentle Holy Spirit speaks to her. Hold on to your hearts. It moves me to tears every time I listen. I also want to be very transparent and share that this conversation contains subjects that might be sensitive to you or young listeners. Some of the topics we discuss could be triggering to those of you who have experienced abuse or suicidal thoughts or actions or any form of PTSD. I've offered links and phone numbers and extensions of hope for you in the show notes of this episode. Please reach out if you or someone you know is in danger and needs help. You are not alone. Even though conversations of talking about our own personal history can be hard, I'm so grateful for Asami going forth and sharing her story because it all points to Jesus. She is a sister of mine that I am so grateful to have her voice speaking strength over me and anyone that she comes in contact with. She loves people and she believes in the value that God sees in us, that we are able to see in ourselves when we step into his presence and allow him to heal us fully. This episode of Still With You is truly special and I'm so grateful for this new friend in my life. Please welcome to the podcast my beautiful friend, Isami Dane. 
I am shocked by how many mutual friends we have. So it's just really good to finally like yeah, meet you. It is. Like I actually can see someone in the flesh versus seeing them online. Like I've I've seen you on like Instagram. Yes, like absolutely. Yeah, but then now to meet you in person is great. So yeah. yeah. And I'm really grateful for you making time for this too. Aww. Yeah. That. As I shared prior, I've read every single word probably mm-hmm. available on your your website. I'm really just thankful for your honesty and just you sharing the things that are hard to talk about. I'm really grateful for that. I know that you're originally from Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I was born in Japan, born in a city called Sagamihara. That's where I was originally born. And then I moved to like a suburb of Tokyo. When I was 10, 9 or 10, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I kind of lived there for several years. And then I ended up moving back to Sagamihara when I was 16. And then I moved to the U.S. when I was 17. Um, Ended up going to college from there. I had visited the States every few years or so because my mom's actually from North Carolina. So I would visit like her family and then of course my parents, which I'm sure this may come up in a, in a latter conversation. I'm putting this in quotations for anybody listening, uh, ministry leaders. So I did a lot of traveling for like the mission work and stuff like that. Furlough is basically where people come back and talk to their sponsoring churches. So okay. that's when I would come to the States and visit. I turned 18 in 2007. Literally that September, I started college at actually up the road here at Pensacola Christian. Uh huh. So oh, she says, uh huh. Saying uh huh because <laughs> I have kind of drawn a roadmap in my mind of where you've been. You lived in Texas and Delaware, oh didn't you? Everywhere. Oh. Yeah. So my, when I say uh huh, I'm like, I just kind of wonder why Pensacola is the place that you and your husband are. So. Well, I'm laughing at myself, actually, because a lot of times when people ask me what college I went to, they kind of give me this look like, are you sure you went there? Like, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had to wear dresses all the time and weren't allowed to wear pants. But that's something else there. But yeah, I went there. I was there for four years, didn't graduate, ended up having to leave due to finances. And I stayed in town because my boyfriend at the time was still going to the college. He's now married to me. Seth, right? So um, I was in town. I was working actually at one of these hibachi restaurants not too far away from here. I didn't have enough money to go back the next semester. So I stuck around for a little bit. Things were not going so well. I couldn't get a full-time job. And I ended up getting into, and this is how all the crazy moving started within the U.S., I got into this argument with Seth, okay? Really? Yeah. So and y'all are dating at this we're time? We're dating and okay. we're engaged, okay? Oh, okay, so engaged. We're, we're serious, serious. I'm like really beat down on myself about life and upset. And my parents had quit talking to me because they were upset that I didn't get to graduate. Another long story. Um, so here I am very down on my luck and I'm looking at my earnings and I'm like, there is no way I'm going to make rent next month and be able to do work on this car, which I was borrowing from a friend, but I need to do like oil changes and stuff. He was, you know, trying to encourage me and be very sweet. And he said, you know, honey, it's okay. We're engaged. We'll get married soon. And, you know, once I graduate, I'll I'll be able to find a job to support us. So you won't have to ever worry about finances or a job ever again, Mm -hmm. which sounds really sweet. Um, (laughs) But me being the very uh, strong-willed person that I am, got very upset. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah. That you're going to support me and I don't need to work ever again and he's like you know you can I guess you can be a stay-at-home wife and I'm like do you think I want that (laughs) so I got mad I got so mad I took off my engagement ring and threw it at him oh wow yeah and I broke up with him (laughs) no 
don't. You don't understand. That is not what I'm asking of you. I just want you to listen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So um, we got in a huge fight. We broke up for a total of three days. And within that time, I started applying to every single job possible. I didn't care how far away it was from here that would take me with what I had. I'm bilingual, but that's about it. I don't have college degree. I don't really have anything else, no experience under my belt other than some maintenance work I did at school. So I found this position um, that was hiring with Delta, and they were hiring uh, flight attendants for (laughs) Japanese-speaking people. They needed bilingual people to be able to translate what was going on on these flights to Mm -hmm. back and forth to Japan. And I was like, yeah, I'll never get in. So I applied. We got back together. I apologized for being an idiot. He was like, well, you know, let's move past this. You were stressed out. You know, I was like, yeah, I definitely should not have said what I said. I'm very sorry. A week later, I get a call back from Delta. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a joke. Why, though? Because you're so friendly. You are so qualified. Why do you think that shocked you? I don't truthfully, at that point in life, I felt like I was worth nothing. Oh, yeah. Um, it was something that was ingrained in me since I was young. I truly thought the best I could do was striving month to month and, and mm. like never, ever, ever having a life where things seemed a little stable. I was always expecting life to be chaotic. When they called me, they were like, yeah, we want to interview you. So I passed the phone interview, went to Atlanta, did the cattle call interview. They called with, it was like a six hour process. So they called us all back into this one room. So we're all sitting down and there's probably like eight of us. And the manager or managers that had been talking to us came up to the little podium that they had up there. And they're like, I want to congratulate you. You're going on to the next step. Mm -hmm. Everyone here is going to go across the street and get their fingerprints and background IDs done. I went through all that, passed everything, and a month later, I paid my last month's rent with my roommate, had about maybe $16 to my name, got on the plane that they paid the ticket for, and got to the dorms in Atlanta, and that was my home. I was legitimately homeless. Like, I had nowhere to go back to. So if I didn't pass that, because it was an eight-week long training, Mm -hmm. if I didn't pass that, I was on the street. So that really motivated me to go, and my flight instructors were amazing. Did you tell them about what you were walking through? I kind of had to. I was trying to keep it a secret as much as I could, because I was like, I don't want them to see me differently or, or pity me, you know. And so we were having to fill out our information, and I think it was the day we had to take our malaria shots, because they make you Oh, right. Yeah, 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 of of course. Yeah. We were taking those and then they all handed us out paperwork and it said on there, what is your home address? And I looked at my um, colleague who was also my roommate because we were in the dorms and I was like, what did I put here? And she's like, your apartment? I'm like, I don't have an apartment. So one of the instructors came over and I was like, I don't have anything. Literally, this is my home. If I don't make it, I don't make it. And she's like, okay, let me see what I can do. So she ended up having to get special approval for me, but she let me write down my dorm number. And so that was my home address. That's how I was able to open my bank accounts and everything because they have their own credit union Mm -hmm. um, for Delta. That's the only way I could even get paid (laughs) through direct deposit. So she helped me out with that, which was great. Then I graduated and got stationed in Hawaii. Seth got um, graduated from school and he moved back to Texas and we were supposed to get married that fall. I'm in Hawaii. I'm living with my roommate. That was my roommate back in Atlanta because we all went to Hawaii to get into that base. And so my home became my roommate's living room floor. Seth and I talked about this. We were like, you know, we're serious. We want to move forward. Our personal views, we didn't want to have a lease or a home together until we were married. So that was something that we chose. 
And so in order to do that, we had to get married. So we got married in our pastor's office on July 2nd, 2012. Yeah, and I was still based in Honolulu and I commuted from Aransas Pass, Texas, all the way to Honolulu to go to work every single time. Wow. Yep. I usually would stay up there for like one to two weeks and just keep flying patterns back and forth Mm -hmm. and then come home for a week and then repeat the same thing over and over again. How long did you do that for? I did that to Hawaii for almost six months. Actually, it was six months. And then after that, I was able to transfer out to Minnesota a lot quicker of a commute because all I had to do was jump seat into Dallas and it was basically a three-hour flight into Minnesota. Um, So I would hang out in the crew lounge and then take my flights to Japan. That's still so hard though when you're newly married. It was tough. So I did that for almost two and a half years. And then in 2014, so actually I met Jesus in 2013. So I was not a Christian at this point. Okay. Um, And so, you know, raised very religious and so was he, but we both did not have a relationship with God until Mm -hmm. after we got married. A lot of that started to change my perspective on what was important to me. We were living in Texas while I was still working in Minnesota, right? So he joined the Air Force, went to, you know, San Antonio where everybody goes for the Air Force, did his boot camp and then did his uh, tech school there. Yeah. And so once he graduated from that, we both moved to Delaware. So I was commuting from Delaware to Minnesota. Oh my gosh. Um, I did that for a little while and then I got really involved in my church and I became a youth leader. The amount of responsibility that I had in my church, I realized that, you know, there were some things that I needed in order to further my walk with Christ. And one of the things that was in that way was my job. Yeah. And it was so hard for me because it was the first thing that I'd ever accomplished on my own where I could look at and be proud of and be like, Mm. this is something I did. You know, I'm proud of myself. I can take care of myself now. I'm I'm financially independent. It was really hard, but I quit my job and I started working as a sales associate for Verizon. So Mm -hmm. I did that for a while and that was really hard. I got really depressed for a little over a year after quitting and just really missed, you know, traveling and being able to have that freedom of going wherever you wanted to go. It was necessary even for our marriage. Um, I'm very glad I did that. So we were in Delaware for about three years, and then he deployed, and I moved to Atlanta. And I lived in Atlanta for seven or eight months. Every time you mention Delta in in Atlanta, like I just think like, (laughs) welcome to the city of Atlanta. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I've flown into that airport so many times. Oh, so yeah, it always cracks me up. Yeah. It, it is pretty funny, yeah, because I don't think they've it's changed. It's iconic. They've never changed that audio. I'm sure it's the same for like... Less. It's the same lady. I don't know who she is, yeah. but I feel like that she deserves at least like a quarter or something for like compensating for <laughs> the times they like... A black. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Where is she? But yeah, we... Um, he went, got deployed. And then we moved back to Delaware. Okay. Um, so we were there for a little under a year. And then that's when we moved to Pensacola. So he was active duty all the time until uh-huh. we moved. So he became a reservist and was stationed at... Duke Field? Yes. Um, because we're in the Air Force Reserves right now. We uh, just came out of the Navy, and so we're in the Air Force Reserves. So I'm okay. learning all of the Air Force okay. things. Yeah, yeah, very different, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is different, for yeah. sure. It seemed like he really enjoyed being there while he was there. Um, he is 
in the middle of out processing right now, mm-hmm. um, just because there's a lot he wants to do outside of the military with his career. Yeah. So he has technically he served for six years. Four of it was active duty. What I hear and what I've read, I feel so weird saying that, but it's <laughs> true. But but what I love about you guys is it sounds like you all really have given each other room to grow. Yeah. Like even hearing how you say. I really feel like I want to go try this new thing with the airlines. I really think that's so beautiful and really cool to hear about. Because I think sometimes we can concrete ourselves spiritually in developing a relationship with Jesus and just growing as a human being, which yeah. is all those things mesh together. I feel like you guys have done that really well. I you know, didn't really have any relationship with God when we first got married. Neither did he. I mean, we, we both went to the Christian school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we were both ministry leaders. We were do- checking all the boxes, basically. Yeah. And everything looked great. But I did not realize that having a good resume in a church culture doesn't equal a relationship with Jesus. Totally. You know, um, and I think I've been confused my whole life into thinking that my relationship with God was either based on me apologizing enough to him mm-hmm. or um, doing something good enough to even be remotely put on God's radar. One of the very first verses I learned as a child was, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the, one of the very first verses, and that was very emphasized, was that. And, and yes, we do have, as believers, a responsibility to look at our own depravity and ask God, as our resource to search our hearts, you know, and, and, and walk with him. But at the same time, if you eliminate the whole picture of God's grace and God's love, you end up with somebody who was just like me, very Mm -hmm. religious, very condescending, very judgmental. Believe it or not, I was the person who, if you walked in Sunday morning with a pair of jeans on, I probably would have looked down on you because that's how I was raised. And that's who I was. And that's where my heart was. And so when Jesus met me, the day that I realized I needed God in my life, um, Seth was staying at home from mm-hmm. church. Um, and I was judging him so hardcore. I was like, because he was sick. And he was like, I don't feel well. I need to stay home. And he had just given his life to Christ maybe eight months before then. And so I was watching I love him. that story about the phone call, oh. too. Like, <laughs> eventually, like, he called me. He's like, hey, I, I gave my life to Christ. Like, yeah. I love that. I did not believe him at first. I was like, what is he trying to pull here? Yeah. I came home from church, and I'm, like, hardcore judging him, of course. I wanted to talk to him because I, I just – something was just off. Like, mm-hmm. I knew – I'd str- I'd struggled with this idea about what it meant to have a relationship with God my whole life. And I never felt secure in that. And so that's when, you know, we started reading the passage in Acts about the apostle talking to the Ethiopian man. Um, And I realized that that was me Um, in so many ways. um, This man, he had access to scripture. It says he was coming back from a place of worship. So he was part of a church or a gathering or some kind back in the day. Um, And he had checked all the right boxes. You know, this guy wasn't a uh, heathen Mm -hmm. um, doing pagan witchcraft. He was not somebody sacrificing his children. This was a quote-unquote upstanding man um, who was a faithful churchgoer and had a copy of scripture, which was very hard to get at that time. And that was me. I had been in church my whole life. I gave to the church. I I did all of these things. And then I realized that the same way this man had to recognize his need for Jesus— I had to do the same. And so when the Holy Spirit started convicting me, my first excuses were all of the things that were on that churchy resume. I dress this way, I act this way, I do this, I I talk to these people, I'm friends with these people. 
um, that was the first time I really felt strongly the conviction of the Holy Spirit just being like, Mm. you know, a great list, but I'm not on that. This isn't something that you can do. I love you regardless. That was when I truly realized that I needed Jesus. And it wasn't about what I could do or what I could do to impress other people. And that's when I truly had a relationship with God. Throughout the years, it's just been a lot of work that the Holy Spirit has done. Yeah. Um, And it's been hard, um, very difficult in so many ways. Work is a good word to describe because sometimes you're like, I don't know, I'm looking at your jacket when it's like graves into gardens and it's like graves into gardens requires some digging, like (laughs) really hard digging. And You know, I can relate to much of that where I have struggled with trying to feel like I've had to work to earn mm-hmm. God's love. It's so not how the heartbeat of God no. resonates, you know, no. and, and works. You're exactly right. Yeah. And so I'm just like nodding my head like, yeah. yep, I, I can relate. There's no way. Like, yeah. at some point, you're going to break because it's like hmm. you've got God's standard, which is ultimate wholeness and perfect. And then we've got yeah. us, you know. And I honestly think that's why the love of God is just so incredible because it is that deep. It is deep enough to reach us when we are six feet below in yeah. that grave, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's that deep. And so like God just really started transforming my life with so many things. Um, he pointed out that I had an anger problem that I never wanted to address. And so I actually went to therapy for that. I think it was in 2014. I went to therapy for that um, to get help. I don't know how to explain this. Um, some people are very weirded out by this word feminist because I, I, they think sometimes it is taken in a way that is is used to degrade other people, specifically yeah. different genders. And I don't think that's right. But yeah, um, I'm 100% for female empowerment. Um, yeah, same. What you're doing right now. I mean, that's, that is exactly <laughs> Girl, right I there. am trying. Yes. And it's, it's incredible. And I, I do, I genuinely believe that Jesus had a special place in his heart for females. Absolutely. I mean, just the way he was so kind with a Samaritan woman, such a gentleman, even with the woman who was caught in adultery in front of him and he's writing in the sand, just talking to her, you know? Yeah. He's not looking at her, shaming her, making her feel uncomfortable. It was just, he just had this heart seeing that, you know, that's where me as a believer, I take that word feminist. Yeah. I'm not taking it necessarily from a worldly perspective of, yeah. you know, um, we are made to look down on the opposite gender or, you know, and I know not everyone's view is that way. Mm-hmm. And I under- understand there are genuinely people who are, you know, just fighting for equal rights or right. things like that. But then you also have an extreme perspective mm-hmm. where I've, I have heard, unfortunately, people who claim to be feminist who degrade men and and that's yeah. really not okay it's unkind and it's it's not loving and i think everything we do should be out of love but for me as someone who is 100 percent for female empowerment i really struggled with some things i was raised to basically hide my body in a way that no one could see it you know it was very shameful to show even your arms so you you wore like a lot of clothing mm-hmm. and, well, yeah. yeah so I wasn't allowed to show my shoulders. I wasn't allowed to wear shirts that had, did not have sleeves on them. I was not allowed to wear pants growing up. Wow. Even the dresses that I wore could not show my kneecap because that was considered shameful. Button down shirts. I had to button the top collar because of the strictness that was there. And of course, I was always taught that if, if a man looks at you, it's your fault. 
Oh, wow. Um, or if a man treats you disrespectfully, it's because of something you wore. And it was even that case with my sexual abuse, which my abuser was not a male. Um, but even then, it was that I was the shameful one. And so that's how I was raised. After I left PCC, the college that I went to, I kind of went on this really extreme shift where mm-hmm. I stopped caring about modesty or the way I was representing myself. And I'm not saying that these are bad things. Right. How, if you choose how you want to dress, you Absolutely. Know, I think that is every female's choice to dress the way she wants to. 100%. And re- exactly. And regardless of how she's dressed, it doesn't mean that your level of respect should change. That Let me just lay that out there. Speak it louder. Yeah. Exactly. But for me, it wasn't necessarily the fact that I was just wearing things because I like them. It was because I purposefully wanted negative attention. Hmm. And so I was disrespecting my own body in the way I was viewing this. So, you know, I went from wearing these dresses that covered my knees to wearing shorts that, um, you know, my butt cheeks were sticking out of. <laughs> Again, to anybody listening to this, if, if that's if that's yeah. your style and you're rocking it, I'm not dissing you at all. But 100%. what I'm saying is what was in my heart was wrong. I w- went as far in my heart to wear those things, even if I was on a date with my husband, so other men would look at me and make him jealous. God started really speaking to me in that sense. And I love the way the Holy Spirit dealt with me because the way I was raised, it was like, you're showing your kneecaps. How shame on you. How dare you? You sinful, adulterous woman. Oh, wow. And that's how I was taught. But instead, when the Holy Spirit started speaking to me about how he wanted me to conduct my life, it wasn't dealt with that way. It was, hey, my daughter, I love you. Do you love yourself? Do you like this type of attention? Do you want to be looked at this way? And that made me really think because I was like, wow. God loves me no matter what I look like, no matter how I dress, no matter what I put on in the morning, even with these intentions in my heart to disrespect the man God gave me, to try to get someone's attention in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You still love me. But you love me so much that you want me to have respect enough to love myself yeah to know that i deserve better absolutely and that's what got me i was like you're not trying to tell me how to dress you're trying to tell me how much you love me and i had never thought of that that way before and so i had to really pray for a really long time and I went through my entire wardrobe, and this is probably going to sound crazy to no, a lot of people. No, no. I want to hear it. I'm loving your honesty. Thank you, Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I went through my whole wardrobe, and I was like, is this something I'm wearing because I feel like I'm worthless and I need someone's attention and affirmation in, in a way that's disrespectful? And so I started purging my closet, donating things, you know, giving things away. I realized that it was okay for me to be proud of my body, and that was something yes. I struggled with because mm-hmm. I had anorexia for such a long time but at the same way it was okay for me to dress in a way that made me feel beautiful even things that I wasn't even allowed to wear growing up I realized that that's okay that is for me 
but my intention, even in the way I dress, changed. So I'm not saying that I stopped wearing shorts. That's not what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that I stopped wearing clothes that were pretty or things that I enjoyed. But every time I went into my wardrobe, I've started to put things on that made me feel valuable. Um, It was like you're not changing your clothes. It was like God was reshaping your identity of to how he sees you. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I realized that, you know, when walking with Jesus, sometimes he, he nudges us in a very gentle way. It's never this condemning if you don't do this like ultimatums it's yeah. not it's not like this if you don't that's a do good this, phrase it's never an ultimatum yeah, it yeah never is and you know how i was raised i was always taught that one day god might love you but one day oof, that lightning might strike and strike you dead mm-hmm. um if you make him upset you know walking with jesus i'm realizing that that's not the case and even diving deep into things like my anger when god started speaking to me about that i resisted for a very long time and it was actually my husband who encouraged me to seek help. And by um, the way, he's yeah. such a hero. Every time he I is. every time oh my gosh. so are you. Of course <laughs> you are an amazing heroine. But when I read about him in on your website, I'm like, man, can we just get him a shield? I love how he supports and speaking of like good men, man, I wish that there were more men out there who I were too. like him. And I know that they're out there, so I don't yeah. want to diminish those who are there. When <laughs> yeah. I read about him, I'm like, yeah. man, you are a hero, Seth. Yeah. So I love how he has walked with you yeah. through this. Yeah, and it's it's been incredible. Just the amount of patience this guy has. Poof, my gosh. <laughs> um, well, you're worth it, of course, oh, but still. Like, it is fun to... It is, like, definitely... I wanted to share that with you. Thank you. But I noticed I it. love you, son! He's going to be like, yeah! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really glad, though, that... He approached it the way he did. Mm-hmm. Um, because had he been like, look, girl, get it together. Like, yeah. I don't think I would have responded as well. But it started out with a playful slap on the behind, which just sounds really insane. But obviously, you know, we're, we're in our apartment and we'd already been married for three years. Mm-hmm. This was after I quit my flight attendant job. So, yeah, it, it had been well over three years at this point. And. Um, you know, I was in the kitchen, like, making food or something. Yeah. And he just popped me on behind, like, never bothered me before. Yeah. Like, not couples do, very yeah. flirty. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was, uh-huh. it, it was our way of flirting with each other. Like, I never had an issue with it. And it wasn't, like, something he was doing out of disrespect. But I flipped. I just remember that I dropped what I was doing, turned around, and started screaming at him. I told him, don't you ever do that again. Leave me alone. Don't touch me. Go away. And he was just very taken back because yeah. I'd never done that before. And so he was like, okay, I'm sorry. He went back in, into our bedroom and was kind of like just doing his own, hanging out, probably playing Xbox or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but later that evening, he was like, hey, um, are you okay? Like, mm-hmm. do you want to talk about what happened? And I was like, no, I really don't. It started from there and then it started escalating to even kissing. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't kiss him. And then hugging, like nothing. Couldn't even hold my hand. He was like, man, are you okay? Like, I normally, very, you know, I'm a very cuddly person most yeah. of the time. He's like, this isn't like you. What, what's going on? I was like, I don't know, but I just want to be left alone. I think that's what it is. I'm distressed. He was like, okay. So, you know, he, he kind of let me be by myself. And I picked up more shifts at work to stay busy. I was working at Verizon at the time, and I stayed very busy. It was a couple months in. He was like, you know, I think we should go to marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
Okay. Did you resist? Because I knew why. And I was yeah. like, you're trying to blame this all on me. I don't like this. And yeah. he was like, well, I don't know what's going on. And like, I know this isn't like you. Maybe it would be okay to talk to someone. It was getting so bad to the point where I was no longer just being so distant from him. It was that anything that made me angry, I was gone. I would be yelling in the car if somebody was too slow. Like, And like, I know people laugh about that, but I mean, things would pick at me for days. I would be mad like five days later over someone that cut me off in traffic. Yeah. Like it was unhealthy. And so he was like, yeah, let's, let's talk to somebody. So I went in full knowing that this was for my anger, but he went with me. Yeah. And so we went to a counselor for that. And then he was like, okay, let's maybe talk about anger management. I was like, okay. And this counselor was like, you know, have you dealt with this type of rage anger before? I was like, not that I can remember. This isn't something I've ever dealt with. And he was like, okay, you know, what made you feel aggressive in that way emotionally and just feeling that anger? And I was like, honestly, if I can put a date on it it was probably the day Seth slapped me on the behind and he was like okay so a physical reaction yeah I'm like, yeah and that's when he asked me have you ever been sexually abused mm-hmm. oh my gosh I lost it and Seth knew a little bit about what had happened to me but that was the only person I'd ever told about anything it was kept under lock and key I completely lost it in that counselor's office he was like okay so maybe that's what we should work on yeah um maybe that's that's the root of this cause and i'm just so thankful that he was so intuitive enough to realize that it wasn't just a surface level issue i could have gone to anger management all day long but there's a lot of shame behind getting help for things it's such a toxic stigma because we're either going to struggle with it out in the open and at that point it's because we've lost control and we're, we can't hide it anymore. Or, you know, we, we can surround ourselves. Hopefully we have good friends in our lives who care about us enough to be like, hey, I'm worried about you. And not because I'm looking down on you. It's because I know you can right. be better. Um, and I know that there's bigger things for you. And, and it's you're, you're, you seem a little stuck right now. And let's walk through this together. Um, but yeah, I went to counseling and started working through some of that abuse to the extent that I could. I wouldn't say we dove in too, too deep. There were some things that I could do and some things I couldn't do. Ultimately, the counseling sessions ended in me uh, writing a letter to this abuser, expressing how this person made me feel, um, what they had taken from me, and um, I ended up destroying that letter, and it helped me to move on a little bit more. It did alleviate a lot of that tension between me and my husband, like... That anger. It's so good to hear. Yeah. It felt so free. Mm-hmm. But of course, I didn't really start intensive, intensive therapy until 2018. Yeah. Things have started from there and the blogging and all of that. Was there a moment where you felt, okay, God, do you want me to share a little bit of this? Like, did it, because yeah. to me, when I read back and even following you online, like, it felt like it wasn't like all at once it came in like pieces. Yes. Right? I'll share this, but I'm not maybe going to share this. And then yeah. later, God gives you the courage when you need yes. it the most and gives you the words. And yes. I see that with you. So, like, could you share yeah. a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, when I went to counseling afterwards, I started to open up a little bit with some friends. And then um, while Seth was deployed and I moved to Atlanta, that's when I really found a solid group of women that I felt safe enough to share with. Yeah. 
Um, it was actually a small group that I was attending. I was going to Passion City Church in Atlanta. Yeah. I love that church. They're awesome. Yes, they are. They're incredible. Pastor Louie was going through this sermon series called Label Maker. Different labels that we think versus things that God thinks of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went through things like God sees us as holy. Where I was like, oh, wow, I've never really thought deeply from that perspective. Like God sees me through his son, you know, yeah, um, as perfect and um, forgiven and redeemed. And those sermon series really just worked on me and helped me build a better self-worth and self-esteem. So it gave me a lot more confidence to open about yeah. stuff. Um, so I was at this small group with these ladies. We were sharing things that God had brought us through, basically things that we would have never been able to get through on our own. Some people shared um, testimonies. A lot of them were testimonies how, how God had brought them through cancer and just mm-hmm. very sombering stories. A yeah. lot of these were how many of these women had experienced chemo and lost their hair and felt so unworthy and like grew from that. And it's just beautiful stories. And so it came down to me. I opened up about the sexual abuse and it was the first time I'd ever done that in front of a group of people. And I did it sobbing, blubbering my eyes out. These people just surrounded me with love. And one of them handed me a tissue. The other one had her arm around me Mm. while I was talking. Like I felt so safe and that had never happened before. And I think from there, God just began to release some of those pressures that I had put on myself of truly believing that you were unworthy and alone and you should be ashamed. And that shame started to, to fade a little bit. It really gave me a lot of freedom. And then when I moved back to Delaware, I started going to this church. Uh, it was called United Church. And man, I love how you get plugged in wherever you're at. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like you don't like waste any time. <laughs> I, I try not to, but I'm sure we will have this conversation on a later day. But there was a point I almost gave up on church just yeah. because of some things that had happened. So when I moved back to Delaware, I actually didn't go back to the original church. Sure. We were at just some things that had happened there. Um, so I found this church. It's crazy because... Seth and I go to this church, and we immediately felt like we were at home. And it was the first non-denominational church that Seth had ever been to. Mm -hmm. We were raised Baptist, always been to Baptist church. I still love the Baptist community. Um, I have friends there. I don't think it was speaking to where we were at at that point in life. And so when we found this church in Delaware, they were meeting out of a theater. You didn't have their own building yet. Sounds a lot like someone you know. Yeah, I know, right? Liberty downtown, right? (laughs) Um, So we start going to this place, and he's like, you know, I needed this. Like, every week, God just started working on our our marriage, because he'd been away for so long, you know? We started reconnecting together and started meeting some amazing people, and it was really... You know how you have those God moments in your life where you're like, that was orchestrated, like, years ago, and I had no idea? Right. But you had ordered my steps all this way. There was this woman who walked into my Verizon store the first time I lived in Delaware. She heard me playing worship music on one of the speakers. Yeah. Because we were trying to promote these speakers to sell them and whatever. Sneaky Jesus. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sneaky Jesus, yeah. She's like, excuse me, is this Jesus music? And I was like, yes, ma'am, it is. And at first I thought she was complaining. Yeah. And I was like, yes, ma'am. She's like, are you a believer? I said, yes, ma'am. She's like, girl, we're sisters. I was like, all right. So she actually invited me to her church. And she's like, yeah, we're having this um, band come in. It's great. Love to have you. I ended up working that day and I didn't get to go. So she came back to see me, to give me a CD of this band that came to play. Oh, wow. And she's like, girl, I think this is going to be a real encouragement to you. Why don't you listen to this on your car ride home? I was like, okay. 
And I never saw her since then. Oh, I love that. Did not see her. It was like a couple years passed, right? We moved back to Delaware. And so I'm at United Church one day, and Seth and I both decided that we wanted to become part of the serve team. We want to serve at this church. So we're at basically, a lot of churches call it Next Steps, Mm -hmm. um, those classes. And I look over, and there's somebody preparing our meals in the kitchen. (laughs) And I look over, she looks at me. And I look at her, and we do this exchange, like, yes. a couple times. And she's like, excuse me, did you work at Verizon? I was like, yes, ma'am! Oh, my gosh. It was Donna Siebert. There she was. And she was like, you made it to church. I was like, yeah, I did! Oh, my gosh. So, it was crazy, because wow. I ended up serving with her on the care and counseling team yes. while I was there. So, she mentored me a lot, really helped me with my walk with God. She had been through some really dark times as well in her past, and... She just had so much wisdom, and so we got to be very close. You know, she was very gentle in in some of the ways that she approached me about things, Mm -hmm. things that, you know, she believed in me and knew I could do better with some things that I was doing, and including the way I viewed my family. Um, She taught me a lot about forgiveness. That really helped me a lot. Unfortunately, during my time there at United, my dad got really sick. We didn't have a very good relationship, never have. My parents, backtracking here, When I left college, they disowned me, and then they came back into my life about a year later. They were in my life for a few years, and then 2017, we somewhat had a relationship. It was pretty rocky, but we had a speaking relationship, and I would sometimes see them when I was a flight attendant um, on my layovers. But um, my dad got really sick, and I talked to my sister and my brother, and I was like, look, guys, um, I'm worried. Like, I don't know if he's going to pass. Like, what's going on? He had passed out while they were at a restaurant. They found out he was internally bleeding. Oh, wow. That made me really scared. I knew that there were some health conditions in our family. My sister couldn't go, and neither could my brother. He was actually in Bible school at the time, Mm -hmm. training to be a missionary. It's like, I can't really leave my studies at the moment. And so I was like, I'm the only one that can afford time off work and be able to pay for the plane ticket. So um, Seth was like, yeah, you should, you know, should anything happen, at least clear some things up with your dad. I flew back. I went to see him, and we had a lot of really good conversations. Mm really good conversations. And even though my father was abusive to me physically and emotionally, I wanted to make sure there was nothing that I did to hurt him that was still there. Mm. And so I said, you know, dad, if I've ever hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. And he said, you know, it's okay. Sometimes he will make mistakes. And that was the first time I'd ever heard him say that. Wow. Um, And he was in the hospital while we were talking. I spent some time there, and, and every day I would go and just, just sit by his bed and talk to him. Sometimes we'd go for walks down the hall. He was in there for a little over a week, um, maybe more. I stayed at my parents' house, and there were some things that I discovered that were still happening at home that were contributing to my dad's illness. Uh, a lot of it had to do with some addictions. Growing up, my mother had a hoarding addiction. Um, I know people laugh about that, but you know, any type of addiction or disorder, whether it's an eating disorder or um, a misuse of alcohol or drugs, it's usually to fill something that's broken or try to numb something, some, some sort of pain. I had never viewed it that way before. I was always just angry with her because sometimes it would take out of our grocery budget. It would take away from us having proper food in the house at times. We weren't wealthy, obviously, but there was a budget for groceries. Um, But I often saw that money going to other things. I feel like addiction just steals in many ways. It does. And it destroys families and 
it it makes the person who is addicted feel so worthless about themselves yeah because they feel stuck and it's it's really it's such a fight because mm-hmm. that person has to be willing enough to say i have a problem and get help and it's hard for the people around them because you know at some point there's like you can only encourage them so far and so that's basically what was happening still so i came back to the states and talked to my sister and my brother i told them what was going on and my sister had actually facetimed me while i was there and saw the things that were happening and we're like well let's figure out a way that maybe she can get help because she actually agreed to seek help while yeah. i was there and i was like okay good we're, we're making progress and she recognized it was a problem and it wasn't good for her and i was like okay good and so i came back and we took time to pray for like two weeks about all this and um, we approached our parents via skype because they're in japan we're yeah. all in the u.s you know and we brought it up i don't know if it just didn't come across how it was supposed to i heard my sister you said i, I was very calm when i speak yeah my sister is a hundred times more oh. she's just so gentle and loving and yeah. just very sweet in that tone of voice was yeah. the way we asked them to get help so yeah. it wasn't this attack my dad lost it, got very angry. My mom said she did not remember telling me that she would get help. It turned into, I don't want to see you anymore. My sister asking, what do you mean by that? Do you care about your grandson? And my dad saying, nope, don't care if I ever see him again. And mm-hmm. it turned into a screaming match. My parents yelling at us kids. You know, I, I started to get very upset and even noticed in me, like I was starting to get angry. And yeah. I was like, we don't need to go there. I know where this leads for me. Mm-hmm. Um, once my dad said he didn't want to speak to me again and my no- mom nodded her head, I just said, okay, if this is where it's going, I don't think I can stay in this conversation anymore. Oh, I love Sonia. you both. Wow. I'm sorry. And I hung up. I was still at United at the time and it was so crazy because the following Sunday, our pastor was preaching about idols and how anything we treasure before god is an idol and he started talking about relationships and i i genuinely think from his perspective he was talking about boyfriends and girlfriends but it's funny how god can be like no for you it means this yeah um and so like holy spirit started speaking to me he's like you have treasured that relationship with your dad over me you have done everything to make that work sometimes ways that were not conventional and um, probably you shouldn't have done. But at this point, you don't have a relationship with them. But you have one with me. So what's it going to be? You're going to put that first? You're going to sit here and sulk all day and be depressed and quit serving me and be angry with me? Or are you going to realize that I still love you and I still love them? No matter what's happened, I am God. That relationship is not. And so I ended up having a conversation with Donna. I was like, Donna, I don't know what to do. Like, I've treasured this for so long. And this is all I've ever wanted was a relationship with my dad. And it's gone. And she was like, yeah, sometimes that happens. She really encouraged me through that season of my life. And it was so hard. Part of me is ashamed to admit this. But I did fall into a very deep depression. Hmm. And that carried with me to when we moved here to Pensacola. It was a very, very dark place in my life. And um, I'm sure you put trigger warnings in front of stuff like this. I absolutely do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it got so bad to the point where I didn't want to live anymore. It just felt like 
God's voice was silent. I was like, where are you, God? You told me you'd be with me. You told me I wouldn't have to walk this alone. All I feel is abandonment and loneliness. And I'm in a new place and I don't understand what's going on. And I'm trying to make new friends, but I just don't want to be around people. And I shut myself off. Mm -hmm. And I moved here in 2017. And so I started writing my blog I mostly wrote it for myself. I started on like a random WordPress account. (laughs) Never thought anybody would read it. And literally the next day I had so many messages in my Facebook, Instagram inbox and and, and comments on my WordPress account. I'm like, who are these people? And I got private messages from people who were saying, you know, that's my story too. Or you're not alone. You know, you don't have to fight this by yourself. I was like, oh, I'm not alone. And so it, it helped me keep going through that year. And then I just kind of immersed myself into volunteering and just wanted to numb all the pain. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have an addictive personality. I mean, I used to turn to self-harm with things like anorexia and my eating disorder. As an adult, whenever I am trying to mask something or I don't want to face something, I'm trying to numb pain, I volunteer until I am exhausted basically give myself no time to think. There was a hurricane that came through Texas and like I genuinely had the heart behind it to do the right thing. And of course, Seth was leading it too. So we were leading this campaign called Toys for Texas where we went back to Seth's hometown and mm-hmm. helped families out there with like gift cards and stuff because they truly lost everything. You know, we worked on that all fall and summer and then December we delivered the Christmas gifts. Um, so I came back home around December 27, 2017. I could not hide what I had been feeling that whole year. And I broke. I became extremely suicidal to the point where I had formulated plans and was going to follow through with them. I think it was two days before New Year's. I was in my bedroom. Seth was like, hey, are you okay? I'm like, no. And I told him yeah. how I was feeling. And he was like, I'm not going to go to sleep tonight until I know you're not feeling that way. Because God forbid I wake up and you're not here anymore. And I'm trying to convince him. You know, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I know you better than that. Let's go get help. And I was like, okay. And I was so convinced. I had lied to myself for so long. I was so convinced I was okay. And I was like, yeah, we'll just we'll just go to a clinic and, and see if I can talk to a nurse. And I'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be okay. We went to urgent care and this nurse was there and... Of course, they start talking to you and asking you mm-hmm. um, what you're thinking, how you're feeling. And I admitted what I had been thinking. I would never done that out loud mm-hmm. in front of anybody other than Seth before. Yeah. I just completely lost it. Yeah. I started crying. So they, of course, took me into the psychiatric facility and was scared out of my mind. And they ended up Baker acting me. But truthfully, it was the best thing that I've ever done mm-hmm. um, or that I ever had to do because... It was a wake-up call. I was like, hey, you are so distant from reality right now. This is dangerous. So I ended up having to tell my boss at work when I left and came back home. And he was like, okay, maybe therapy might be a good idea for you. My work actually has a really good therapy program. That's awesome. Where you can get like a few free sessions and then, you know, you find out if you like that counselor or not, you can stay with them. So um, I started going through therapy. I I, I worked with this person who really helped me out a lot. I would say. You're still with them today or two? Yeah. Yeah, I still have her. Um, I don't meet with her like on a weekly basis anymore. It's mm-hmm. more of a case by case need as needed yeah. situation. I do have her number in my phone. She's yeah. always open for me texting her, which is great. It's so hard to find a good counselor sometimes. Yeah. Um, she really worked with me. We dove deep into childhood trauma. Um, we dealt into abuse 
at home, um, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, we dove very deep into that. I was so opposed to taking medication because that was something I was taught from a very young age that, you know, that's only what addicts do. Yeah. Which is not true. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I ended up seeing a professional psychiatrist who looked at my report from our therapy sessions, did some tests and things, and realized that I had PTSD. She was like, you know, with people who have PTSD, a lot of times, you know, they can function, but as you get older and you don't treat those things, they can take over your life completely. In some ways, it was getting to the point where I was afraid to talk to people in public, and I'm very much a people person. Mm -hmm. It was consuming my life. It took a few tries to get the right prescription, but that, and then working with my therapist, and then opening up to friends, even within the church, who were just there to give me really good spiritual guidance. And then I also attended Celebrate Recovery for a little bit, Mm -hmm. which is really good. So just having all those support systems in place really helped me a lot. It's also opened my eyes to know that while I do love Jesus and I am walking with God and I want God's approval for everything in my life, like I'm understanding that my physical ailments, like my physical struggles do not make me any less loved. Right. You know, and that was something I had to learn and it was very hard for me. But it also taught me to be a lot less judgmental. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, if you're struggling, people struggle. It's what people do. Yeah. And it's okay. At this point in my life, like I'm still working with God and, and walking with him and, and he's still showing me things. I mean, gosh, and even in this last year and a half, He showed me that I was still very angry with the church as a collective whole. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that no one protected me when those things happened Mm -hmm. as a child. One of those things was actually the piano. My piano teacher, also Mm -hmm. the church pianist, was the one who abused me. Mm -hmm. And so I had a very hard time connecting with instruments as an adult. To this day, like I am terrified of touching a violin. Not because of that specific person, but... There was abuse involved with that instrument. But God started speaking to me on a Sunday at Liberty one day. And he was like, you know, you're still holding on to this. How about we let that go? I'm like, what do you mean by that? I love how Holy Spirit's so gentle to bring this up when you're ready. Yes. And he wasn't like, Yeah, like it's not like a jolt. I really love how you're describing all of this. But yeah. Like how... How in the world would I have ever been able to understand what he was doing Mm -hmm. four years before that? Yeah. You know, like, I would would have probably been like, I'm done with Jesus. Like, I'm done (laughs) with Christianity. Bye. You know? Yeah. He knew that soil could be, I could, he could plant something in there. And, you know, he didn't like have to like pick at rocks or anything. So he was like, hey, as a testimony of what I've done, I want you to play the piano on the worship team. Uh, I was mad, and then I was laughing. Yeah. I was like, you you funny, God, you funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of, like, brushed it off for a while, and he, and it kept coming up, kept coming up. Every time I was at church, every time I'm praying, God's really? like, hey, you know you know that thing I'm asking you to do? He's like, I know you're ready. Let's go. And uh, I was like, okay. So I went to a few worship practices, had some panic attacks, came home, didn't go back to worship practice for, like, six months. It was in 2019. Clint started working with me and I told him my story. He was like, okay, do you feel comfortable just jumping on the piano? I was like, "Mm, maybe not. And so he really worked with me in becoming a backup vocalist first. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been doing. And then I just texted him actually a couple weeks ago saying that in March, I want to start training to do piano for the worship team. I saw the video that you shared, which I'm going to share with all of our friends, but that was so moving. Thank you. 
it's right in front of me, so I'm seeing it, but with your jacket, how it says, like, graves into garden, it's like, like, that is, um, just something that's coming up that has been a gift, have the ability to share and to worship God through such a beautiful thing, and I'm so glad that you're getting to see that come alive in you again. I love even the timing of this, too. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with that, with your obedience. But yeah, that's that's been the walk with Jesus. I hope it continues to grow. And Well, I want our friends to come talk with you. You are the most gentle spirit. I love hearing even the words that you choose because I know that you... Um, are such like an advocate for people. And I know that you coach and offer just like a lending ear. I want to say, number one, thank you for that. Because anytime someone who is an encourager and an advocate for us growing into healthier versions of ourselves, like we all become better, like talking about empowerment, like (laughs) it is absolutely amazing. But I want our friends to, if they feel any sort of like pull to just send you a message or just connect with you in any way or you know ask you to help them and I love how you're so clear on your website you're not a counselor but a coach is such an important part of our learning growing becoming better people could you share a little bit about that like what that might look like if someone wanted to connect with you in any way yeah absolutely again full disclosure I'm not a licensed therapist Mm -hmm. I do have my psychology degree um, and I do have a background in church counseling. Yeah. I have worked through that, but because I'm not licensed properly yes. through the state, I cannot do therapy and will not. As far as the coaching is concerned, coaching is going to be more, and I do more of relationship coaching, but it's more for people who either have left a toxic relationship or are looking to strengthen a relationship with someone, whether it's relationship within family or another thing I offer is is career coaching. So helping build that confidence. Because a lot of times when we experience toxic relationships, whether it's a spouse or a friend that has spoken a lot of negativity into our lives, we take that with us, whether it's our career, we look down on ourselves and it's like, oh, you know, I'm not worthy of this promotion. You know, maybe you've had a bad relationship with someone before and you're in a new one and it is healthy, Mm -hmm. but you're having a hard time working past those roadblocks where, you know, you're with someone that loves you and, you know, you're trying to love them back, but it's so hard because you keep wondering when this person is going to flip the switch or become the person you were with last. And where I would come in is where I would work with you and steer you in that course. So that way you gain confidence within yourself to know that should anything turn bad, you can handle those situations. So you feel safe in your own skin, but then also have that confidence to have clear communications, whether it's with your boss or your spouse, um, so you can develop into knowing what healthy relationships look like. Um, And so that's what I do is relationship coaching. But again, if it's like therapy and you need help for, say, things like an eating disorder, uh, substance abuse, um, depression, or self-harm, any of those things, please, please, please seek out professional help. Yeah. Because they are going to be equipped with the tools that uh, that you need, and they're going to know how to steer you in the right direction, even if it's maybe they want you to try a different type of therapy. They're going to be able to have that knowledge, so that's where you would go if you're looking at that. But in the coaching world, that's in a nutshell what I do. It's samidane.com, right? Yep. Okay, so uh, that will be in the show notes for all of our Mm -hmm. friends to find. And speaking of your name, could you talk a little bit about your name? Because I love this story, and I'm going to put that the post that you have that explains more to 
But could you like talk about that too? Yeah. I feel like that's like a whole nother, I feel like that's almost like a the book. Like literally, I love the story of this. Thank you. I am originally from Japan and I grew up there and all growing up, I had an American name. My name was Joy. While that sounds like a nice name, and, and it is, so if you're named Joy, then good for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying the name is bad, but growing up, there were specific names that were given to me and my siblings for a very, I don't want to say malicious, but um, not a positive reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of us were given American names, both first and middle. And there was no room for a Japanese name. It's a very fine line I'm walking with, so I want to be very careful with my words. But I think my mother specifically did not want to identify her children as Japanese children. Yeah. That was hard for me. It was also very hard because the person I was named after was a World War veteran from the U.S., which I honor and respect very much so. Um, But this person wasn't family. Um, It was actually my mom's friend's mother is who I was named after. And it was difficult because she was a veteran explaining that to my Japanese grandfather. Right. I was going to say it's a conflict of history. It it was almost disrespectful. Right. um, Because he knew. I, to this day, am very thankful that he never had to be involved in Pearl Harbor or any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Which terrible things did happen, and he didn't like to talk about it much, but his unit went to China, and that's where he was at. It's actually where he met my grandmother. She was a nurse there. Mm -hmm. It was just such a conflict. Never really called me by my name. Mm -hmm. I don't think he could bring himself to do that. Yeah. And it was just difficult, too, because um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Japanese language, but we use three different alphabets. So we use Chinese characters, we use hiragana, and then we use katakana. The traditional kanji is usually mixed in with hiragana to make Japanese words and sentences. Katakana is used to describe foreign words. For example, the word orange. So orange is not Japanese. Mm-hmm. It's not from Japan, but it's used. Right. We use it to describe the fruit orange. We just call it orange. Yeah. <laughs> that was a little accent. I love it. But you would spell that out in that katakana alphabet, which describes a foreign word. And that's how my name was spelled. My name, anytime I wrote it on an official document, said, you don't belong here. Hmm. You are a foreigner. Unfortunately, growing up in the 90s in Japan, there was a lot of racism. People didn't want to talk to the, they called it hafu, which means half. Hmm. You are a half-breed. And I was called that a lot. So um, growing up like that, it made me feel unwanted and like I didn't belong. Even though the name was supposed to mean, I'm sure there were some pure intentions behind Let's name her Joy because of happiness. Yeah. That power was completely stripped away from me. And so when I turned 18, I wanted to change my name, but I had no clue what I would have done uh, or called myself. And honestly, quite frankly, I I didn't have any self-worth, so I probably would have picked something stupid. I didn't know um, what that would look like. And last year, I, I started really thinking and praying and taking into account all the things that God has taught me, what he says about me. I really wanted to have a name that, number one, paid respect to my heritage and then also meant something to me. And so that's why I chose the word Isami. And so when you spell that out in Japanese, it's put together by two Chinese characters, which we use in the Japanese language. Isa can also be read as Yuki, which means courage Hmm. um, or bravery. And then Mi means beautiful. So my name, um, and usually our 
I think it's our verbs and our nouns are backwards, but that would mean translated in English, beautifully brave or beautiful courage. Yeah. Um, so I took that name and I was like, this is what God says about me. Yeah. This is what he intended for me all along. I am not unwanted. I am not someone that doesn't belong. I belong here and I have a seat at the table. This is my name. And so I changed it to Isami. And another reason why I chose that is my nephew's middle name is actually Yuki. Oh, uh, which I is part that. of that kanji there, that character that I used in my name. So, and I love my nephew to death. Um, he's my buddy. That's awesome. So I wanted to kind of keep it in the family too. I love that that in taking the step to make that change, that that is probably something that you could have just accepted yeah. or even just thought, oh, I'll get to it. But yeah. it's like you knew your worth and that that meant yeah. something to you. And it felt like the right next step to you. And I love that God provided the ideas, you know, like talk about like the mind of Christ to give you and name you that name. Like, I love that you were intentional to do that because that's something I've been thinking about a lot this year. I think that some of us submit to the idea that we're not worth the process. That's not true. A name is not a little thing, but I think sometimes even the things that we think that don't matter Mm -hmm. can really reflect the heart of God. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, not to mention also, Joy is actually a brand of soap in Japan. So, man, oh, that was tough growing up. Really? With. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. So it's like naming your kid Dial. Gosh. Yeah. It's like, hey, Irish Dial. Springs. Like, oh, oh, soapy guy. Goodness, okay. so, I did not know. Yeah. So anytime I made friends, like, I ended up starting to introduce myself that way. I was like, Joy, like the soap. Oh. So that way like you a, could get the joke out of the yep, way. Like, yeah. I'll hit me before you hit me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wow. it became a defense mechanism. So, yeah. Yeah. Please don't name your kids. No, good night. (laughs) You write it out in the Japanese alphabet on your social media, and I like that. I love it when people are so specific to just be true to who they are, authentic. Like that is such a gift. And so I'm gonna have to have you back. I'm so glad to have you, like in like my real life friend. You're the best. Um, Okay, so the podcast is called Still with You, and so Isami, I am curious. You can answer this however you want. Where is God still with you? I think God has been still with me as a father. What I mean by that, and that might seem like a weird answer, somebody growing up who didn't have a lot of affection or you know, was put down by their father a lot and, and currently doesn't have a relationship, you know, God has really seeped into my life in places that could not be filled by people. Yeah. You know, I used to be scared to look at Jesus and God and, and and call him father because of that negative relationship. But God has really taught me what it means to be loved and nurtured. And so I I genuinely believe that God is still with me through those times where I feel like I'm alone and don't have that family or or that father relationship. He's with me and and is walking with me, being that for me. And I, I think that's just such an amazing thing that he does. And I cannot wait to listen to you play piano. In March. I cannot wait. I'm going to have to make the trip to Blue Angel. March is when the practice starts. Okay, well... I cannot wait to hear <laughs> soon, absolutely soon. Like, so, hopefully I'm still okay at this. <laughs> oh, you are going to be great at it. And yeah. we have all of our friends who, this is what's so fun, is that when this comes out, our friends will can hear this and pray alongside you as you're in that process. If what we know to be true from what you've said, God's going to reveal probably more to you through the practice and learning. And I so. Think so. Yeah, I think so. And it's just so, such a blessing to have the people who have really 
been cheerleaders. Yeah. Like you were talking about Clint and Megan. Like, Love them. Every step, they've been really, and just so many others on that team that just really encouraged me and I could have gotten this far without them. I'm left a little wordless after having this conversation with Asami. She is truly amazing, and I'm so thankful for her beautiful bravery in sharing her story with us, being an extension of hope in our city and in our world. If you would like to connect with Asami, you can visit her website, asamidane.com, or you can find her on social media. All of the ways that you can connect and reach out to her will be in the show notes. You can find the official show show notes page through my website coleybrowning.com there is all kinds of extras that i've left there for you including ways that you can learn more about asami and how you can connect with her my hope and prayer from this specific episode is that you would truly not feel like you are alone you are worth the process of healing i think sometimes we can be so weighed down by the pain that we feel that we don't feel like we're worth a step that might seem small in our eyes but is truly a step of courage and anytime we walk in a valiant nature towards God it is not small friends it is bold and brave so I just want you to know that you're not alone and that we see you and God sees you above all else in what you're going through you are loved you are treasured you are enough And if there is anything that I can do to encourage you, would you please let me know? You can connect with me again through my website or you can find me on social media. My handle is at Coley Browning. I would love to talk with you, hear your thoughts about the podcast or just anything that I can do. I just want to always be the girl who is available to help in any way. Also, I want to thank you so much for taking time to listen to Still With You. This is a podcast that is supported by friends and your listenership means more than you know. And if you are receiving encouragement weekly from this podcast, it would be amazing if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a kind review. This helps more than you know in allowing new friends to find the podcast and hopefully receive the same encouragement that you feel in this moment while listening. Thank you in advance for doing this. I hope that you have a stellar week. Come hang out next Tuesday. I'm going to be speaking with one of our friends that you've been hearing from all season, Gabrielle Grace. She is coming on the podcast to talk about her new EP, We'll Be Alright, that releases March 5th. It's going to be awesome. Until then, be bold, be brave, be you, and remember that he is still with you. 